Hello and welcome to another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast right here in the middle of hot summer. It's not hot Denver. What do you say? It's hot Lana, but what do you you can't say hot Denver? No. You what sure do you can? What well, we don't have a name for that, do we? No. Oh, summer, how I love thee. You're so hot. You're so sweaty. We love that, don't we? And the heat brings out the crazy in people. And you'll hear about that in just a bit. I'm the Denver 7 traffic anchor, co-host of this program, Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. And if you like listening to us, don't forget to drop us a review on iTunes. We appreciate that every time one comes in. Of course we do, even though they don't come in that often or nearly often enough. Well, definitely not often enough, so get out there. Well, we have a great show for you today and a special guest, Panama Jackson, the senior editor at Very Smart Brothers. He's going to be joining us here in a bit talking about smug people on foot and on two wheels. Too many smug people on our roads. I cannot wait to roast them. Yes. (laughs) We'll talk to him in just a little bit. Uh, But no matter how many times it's said, getting drunk and then driving, it's bad. We say it all the time. We see the uh, crackdowns all the time, right? People, People still do it. Case in point, over the 4th of July holiday, the crackdown here in Colorado, they, you know, because they do these random crackdowns, mm-hmm. and usually over holiday periods, uh, there were 337 drivers arrested for DUI. 337 over one week. That still surprises me. Now, most were alcohol. There were some pot um, marijuana arrests because, well, you know, Colorado. Colorado. Um, uh, so it, it's still a thing. It is. The DUI is still a thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's a sad thing because a lot of those people are repeat offenders and they're people who just can't put the, I mean can't put down the bottle for one reason or another whatever the demons are that are causing that to happen and as a result of that they wind up getting behind the wheel when they shouldn't and they get arrested repeatedly. Now I said all of that stuff there Joseph because I have here in my hands three a trio of stories. DUI-related for you to consider. The old DUI power ranking. We might even have to play at the end of this, you make the call. So stay tuned for that. Story number one, Port St. Lucie, Florida. Scott Garrett was pulled over for driving erratically on I-95. When officers detected the smell of alcohol coming from his car, Scott told the cops he wasn't driving the car, his dog was. The police say the excuse didn't fool anyone as his, as his red, very glassy, bloodshot eyes, as well as the bottle of alcohol in the passenger seat, pretty much gave him away. And not only that, there was no actual dog in the car. See, to me, his story was believable up until that detail was revealed. Scott asked officers for a ride home. Instead, they gave him a ride to a jail where he was charged with drunk driving. Yeah. Don't blame the dog. Reminds me of the story. I was driving on I-25, northbound, coming to work. So it's, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, just up ahead of me, some woman wipes out, crashes into the wall, and then spins out and 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 stops in that uh, left center lane. And I pull up right there behind her, and I ask her if she, you know, I roll down my windows and I say, are are you okay? Are You know, what's going on? She goes, can you take me home? Can you just give me a ride home? I said, no, I can't. I can't give you a ride home right now. You just crashed your car, um, and the, the tow truck was just pulling up behind me at that time, which was just crazy happenstance, but no, I Ugh. could not drive you home. Awful. All right, story number two comes from Miami, where there was a guy driving his car, and he was stopped by police on suspicion of drunk driving. Police say Daryl Riedel got out of his truck during the stop, opened a can of beer, raised it to his mouth, and then 
chugged it. Daryl has four prior DUI charges. You don't say. Surprising. Uh, Daryl is facing several charges, including felony DUI, fleeing from a deputy, driving with a suspended license, and failure to submit to a breath test. What I've heard from several professional drunks is if what they what they say is that you're supposed to take a drink right before you blow into the breathalyzer, and that's why the machine can't really get an accurate reading. Um, I don't think the cops let that happen. Generally. No, that's why the guy was pounding the drink uh. before he could get through the breathalyzer. I thing. always thought pennies was the trick. Like, bite no, down on a penny and blow the copper into the That does nothing. Nothing. Um, that's what? why some people think they can just chug a beer like that and, and get away with it. Well. Obviously, they can't. Um, see, there should be a separate charge, I think. We, you, you just mentioned it a minute ago. For, uh, for like, reckless DUI. For... Um, people who are so drunk all the time and get repeat DUIs, it, maybe it's like a premeditated, because it's premeditated. Mm-hmm. If you're always getting drunk and you know that you're going to go out and drink drunk driving, it's like premeditated murder. It's, it's a premeditated DUI. You know, I will say this. A lot of states' laws are progressive. I guess progressive would be the word where... If you get three DUIs, you will not have a driver's license. The problem that is doesn't that, stop them. The problem is that people can still get behind the wheel of a car. I mean, it's not hard to take some keys, put them in the ignition, and away we go. And then they know? have those breathalyzer things put in their car. But then there's ways around that too. Well, but a lot, but a lot of them, when they are getting behind the wheel, they're not they're not even bothering to install the ignition interlock devices. They're just getting it getting somebody else's car. You know what I mean? Like buying it used and never bothering to get it registered or get the thing put in. Maybe there should be like a separate special DUI, like a super DUI or DUI with malice charge. Well, the DUI where you're in jail. First and, degree and you DUI. Drive. Yeah. You know, like first degree murder, first degree mm-hmm. DUI, something like that. I think there is extreme DUI in some states, right? Isn't that what the Arizona Cardinal CEO just got popped for? Was <laughs> oh, did ex- he? extreme DUI? Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this guy in Indian River County, Florida. Earl Stevens Jr. is his name. And he told investigators he wasn't drinking while driving. Instead, he was downing bourbon only while stopped at traffic signals and stop signs. <laughs> semantics it's great oh man earl's explanation however didn't keep him out of jail on the dui charge following an incident in vero beach now this is where the story gets good so you see police were called to the mcdonald's in vero beach for a possible disturbance and the woman that talked to police she said that there was a vehicle behind her in the drive through there at the mcdonald's and it kept hitting her rear bumper so she pointed to the vehicle drive, driven by 69 year old earl And deputies went to go talk to said Earl, and they noticed the open bottle of liquor in the brown paper bag in the passenger seat, and they said he smelled of booze. He he said he felt pretty good. Earl said he was drinking Jim Beam bourbon from the bottle. I like that over Jack Daniels, by the way. No? That's one of your worst opinions. (laughs) I mean, I like really good whiskeys, but if I had to choose between the two, if I'm at a bar somewhere and you had to give me either the the Beam or or the Jack... I'll go. I'll go with Jimmy every time. Mm. Uh, anyway, so so this uh, so the bottle of uh, Beam was there in the passenger seat, and he said he was only drinking it when he was stopped at stop signs. Earl said he'd never had a valid Florida driver's license, and then was duly arrested on charges of DUI with a blood alcohol limit about twice the legal limit and driving without said license. So he's the worst. He's number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the point where you make the right. call. Driving with the dog in the car that's not in the car, I would say is the second worst. 
Uh, and the one who pounded the beer is number three. Because, I like, like that guy. I, you got to like a guy who pounds the beer. I mean, he's he's right there in the cop's face going, you know what, what are you going to do about it? More like, you know what, I'm already effed. Let me just pound this beer real quick. Maybe that's why he just didn't want to waste the beer. Maybe that's what it was all about. Well, anyway, there was a story in the Denver Post this week that was talking about the new Colorado law that says it's okay for people riding a bike to roll through a stop sign or roll through a stop light where they don't have to make a complete stop. It's easier for the bicyclist, obviously, to keep that momentum going because, unlike a car, you don't have a gas pedal. It's harder to get going once you're stopped. Right. Right? So drivers who see bike riders do this, they call it the Idaho stop, apparently, after a similar law in Idaho. Well, drivers get torqued off when they see the bicyclist not stopping, coming to the full stop at the stop sign or the stoplight, and not really knowing that these bicyclists are actually allowed to roll through, do the old Idaho stop. Mm -hmm. So the new law allows communities to set a maximum rolling speed of 10 to 20 miles an hour. Not that anybody, I think, is running radar on them. And the intersections have to be, quote-unquote, the appropriate, appropriate signage. So maybe that's a problem right there is where there should be signs up so the drivers can see the bikers can just roll through, and then they, they there won't be so much confusion. Well, I think the the problem is that the system is going to be abused by bad bikers, which is yep. something we see with pretty much every single bike law on the books, is that they're just ignored by people on bicycles who think they're better than the law. And then the other issue with this is that I think a lot of people, well, I guess I wouldn't call this an issue. The, the viewpoint of the driver is that we are sharing the road with bicycles. We should all be following the same rules of the road. Why does this bicycle get a, a perceived advantage by being able to roll through a stop sign that I, the vehicle driver, has to stop at? How is that fair if we're supposed to be sharing the road and doing all things equally? Well, it's not fair. But, I mean, ride is, I guess you're getting special preference uh, treatment for, for riding your bike. So they're going to encourage people riding their bike and trying to make it as easy for them to ride their bike and encourage people to ride their bike as possible, including doing laws like this. Now... I think it comes down to maybe educating drivers better, or it would be better if there were signs, or like right next to the stop sign, on top of the stop sign, if you're a bicyclist, you can roll through the stop sign. Right. Well, and this is going to be a city-by-city thing, too. Not every city is going to allow bicyclists to do this. I mean, how many tickets get written for people doing an Idaho stop now? None. When it's outlawed? None. None. So, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. Exactly. I mean, how many people are getting tickets for pooping over there on the library? None. Not enough. Clearly. So, Joseph, you came across a blog post by Panama Jackson, and Panama is the uh, senior editor of Very Smart Brothers. It's part of the Root.com network, and he wrote a blog post titled, Five Super Smug-Ass Types of People Who Need to Cut the Sh**. Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's posted right now on the site, verysmartbrothers.theroot.com. And joining us here on the show is the aforementioned Panama Jackson. Hi, Panama. Welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. How y'all doing? Thank you for having me. Well, you first define the word smug, and then you go on to list these five types of people who are smug. Well, the first two are of great interest to us here on the podcast. Number one is bicyclists who think that bikes are cars. And you say number two is people who walk slowly through crosswalks on purpose. I, I see that a lot at the Walmart. Whenever I go to the Walmart, wait in the park, they go, you know, trying to get in the store. Uh, sure you do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what was the spark that made you want to comment about smug people? There, there had to be some kind of final straw that broke the camel's back. 
actually the number two on there is what started it. I was driving down the street. I live in Washington, D.C. I was driving down the street trying to make a turn on a very um, busy street. And I saw this uh, these two gentlemen walking as slow as possible, almost intentionally. And they were looking at the cars trying to make a right turn that were that they were blocking effectively. And they just had this smile on their face like, you will wait for me. I am more important than this right turn that you're trying to make. And it drove me crazy. I was like, man, that is such a smug look on their face. And I was like, huh, how about that? Let me write about this. So that's, that's what it came from, People walking, watching people walk across the street slowly. And what about what about the bikes? What about the, the guys on the bikes that, that made you upset? Oh, man, listen, let me, let me just say this. I don't have a problem with bicyclists in general. Bikes are great modes of transportation. Everybody should get one if you can ride one. In D.C., we are a biker city, right? There are bike lanes everywhere, and I think that's great, too. I want everybody to get where they're going safely. However, you get tons of people on bikes who, while wanting to be treated like cars, don't follow the, the rules of the road, right? So instead of stopping at stop signs, they'll ride right through the stop sign. And I almost ran into somebody one, one time who was riding up on my right side while I was about to make a right turn. I had been stopped properly. Dude comes flying by me, almost gets hit because I don't see him because he comes out of nowhere. And then he stops and turns around and, and yells an, ex, uh, uh, an expletive at me. And I'm like, dude, I'm driving 5,000 pounds of metal. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're driving, you know, 20 pounds of, of, of light metal. And you're really going to look at me like I'm the one who's at fault. You need to pay more attention than I do. And I was in the right, but I got yelled at. And I'm like, if I, if I were to try to run this gentleman down on my car to show him who's boss, I'm the bad guy. I wouldn't do that. I don't believe in that type of violence. I'm just saying. So, D.C. is a biker city. You get a lot of those interactions between bikers and people and motorists, and they don't always end very well. You get there's a. I'm not saying there's a war necessarily, but there are tensions on both sides. I'll say that. I definitely want to come back to the tensions thing in a second, but first I want to play devil's advocate because you brought something up. You're driving a 5,000-pound hunk of metal, whereas I, as somebody who walks everywhere, I have two sneakers. So don't you think that I sort of, there's a reason there's a smugness there when I'm crossing and you're trying to make a right turn because what are you going to do? Like if you, if, if I get mad at you, I'm just yelling. If you get mad at me, there's a potential that I'm going to the hospital. Agreed. And I would never advocate for doing anything that's unseemly or unsightly for anybody. What I'm saying is in order for this society to work, there's a certain push and pull that we have, right? right. You want to cross the street? That's fine. I understand. you got to get where you're going just like I do. When people are intentionally, and I'm talking about able-bodied individuals, because some people commented like, well, my father, my, my parent is disabled. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, listen, everybody got to get how they can get where they can get how they're going. You know what I mean? That was a very complicated sentence. What <laughs> I'm saying is, you, if you're crossing the street, you understand that I also need to make a turn within the time frame so that we all get where we're going safely. So when people intentionally go as slow as possible, that's annoying. It will be annoying to you if you were in the car watching somebody else walk across the street doing that. But, you know, I see that a lot, not only in uh, Las Vegas, when people are just staring at, obviously, the casinos, and there's a lot going on there in Las Vegas, but also in New York City. It happens so much in New York City that folks are walking so slowly across the crosswalks that it's backing up traffic, and it's nearly gridlock there now. And I would be uh, surprised if it wasn't similar there in D.C. with not only all the tourists, but all the people just walking around and slowing down the traffic where you can't make those right turns. That backs up traffic even more. And so nobody can get anywhere they want to go. 
Right. And I look, as a resident of D.C., I know where to go, what times to do it. Like, I specifically avoid certain areas because I know that's going to be the case. And I, I'm a pedestrian a lot of times myself, so I understand. Like, when I'm, but when I'm crossing the street and I realize there are cars turning because I know how short our lights are here. So I'm like, let me just get across the street as quick as possible just for the sake of everybody involved. Now, you don't have to be considerate like that. Nobody's required to. I, on the other hand, try to take the consideration into account because I am somebody who drives sometimes as well, and I hate when I'm sitting there waiting for people who are specifically not. And I guess I just need to be very clear. It's people who are specifically being difficult. It ain't people who are just walking across the street. Most people, you cross the street, you get there on your own pace, that's fine. There, I have watched people who literally walk across the street and kind of stop, you know, like kind of stop and look yep. around like, dude, what are you stopping for in the middle of the street? So it's that kind of thing that I'm saying. And I, I, I put a blanket on all this, and I know that people don't like generalizations, but we're talking about a general concept. Yeah, it's not like it's Abbey Road where they need to stop in the middle of the road and take a, take a picture, right? I mean, come on. Right, Absolutely. Right. Well, and so that's all I'm saying. You bring up D.C. being a biker, bi- bicyclist city, I should say, and Denver is a lot the same way. I mean, what would it take for you to jump to the other side of this turf war in three years from now? You're writing an article saying drivers are the smug ones and bicyclists have the right of way. You know, it could be situational. Perhaps I see it. I, I'm, I'm out even in my own car and I watch some super impatient person in a car who just can't let go of the fact that there is a bicycle. I mean, the it's just like in common. You don't punch down, right? So if there's a, if there's a pedestrian, you have to give right away to the pedestrian. If there's bikers, you give the right away to the bike. I understand that. So if I see people who are overly aggressive towards people on bikes, then that's that's ridiculous. I don't think that should be the case. Like I said, I think in order for society to exist in, in, in harmony, we all have to know our roles while we're in them. we we got to understand our lanes. But, you know, if I, maybe if I ever hop on my bike and I'm riding around and somebody does something completely insensitive or inconsiderate to me, then I'll be like, hey, bikes are people too. We need, you know, we need to, <laughs> we need to chill out. But right now, largely what I see most of the time is people – who are in cars, who are trying to give as much leave, you know, right away and leeway to people on bikes, who aren't, it doesn't seem to me, are as inconsiderate of the fact that we are all sharing the road. It's like the road is built for the bike. Your cars need to get in where you fit in after I go where I'm trying to go. I see that a lot. We're talking to Panama Jackson, senior editor of Very Smart Brothers, about his blog post about the five types of smug people. So have you gotten any blowback from the biking community or the pedestrian zealot community? We, we get frequent uh, All the time. Com- com- they never stop. No, they don't. They're, they're on us all the time. Uh, did, you, did you get any blowback from your rant? Yeah, of course. I, got, I mean, I got some people who, um, I don't know, it must have made some type of bicycling, bicycling message board uh, because I definitely got... Not, a, not an overwhelming amount, but several responses and comments and on Twitter from people who were like, you know, you sound like you're, you sound like you're an a-hole in a car. You know, like... <laughs> oh, I get like those same cars, things. I know, get like, the same ones. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so that kind of, I mean, and I, I think that stuff is funny because largely, like, people in car... I'm not, I'm not an a-hole in a car. I'm just a dude trying to get where I'm trying to go. I'm, I have children that are usually in the car with me, so I'm always over like overly considerate of the road around me because I'm always concerned about being in a situation that my kids are harmed. So I pay more attention than I think I otherwise would if I didn't. But, you know, like, come on, like if you're on a bike, like people on bikes do have this sort of, sort of attitude, like I'm saving the environment. I'm out here just, you know, being, I'm exercising. I'm doing all these things. You're just in the car, taking up space on the road. 
you know, murdering the planet. And <laughs> yeah. maybe there's some truth to that, but you know what? I didn't create the car. I'm a, I'm a product of my environment. I'm just trying to get where I'm trying to go. Yeah, I hear that. So, <laughs> so, so this is something that we've kicked around on the podcast before, and I want to toss it to you as well. I mean, the way that cities are built up now, the way Denver's built up, the way D.C.'s built up, you mentioned having kids. Do you think that walking or bicycling is a safe way for them to get around? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's just like anything else in life. It's about knowing where you are. Like, my, my street, the street I live on, like, I don't let my kids go out front and play on the street because there are no speed bumps. People speed through, and it's residential. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I'm not letting my kids go outside and play and ride their bikes on the street because of that. But because D.C. is such a walkable city, because we have all the monuments and all the museums, and, you know, it's a city that is built for walking around and being outside. Yeah, it's safe because all these safeguards have been put in place to – like, if there's a big group of pedestrians, they're going to have the right of way. And if you're in a car, you're just stuck. You just got to wait your turn. You, you know, you kind of have to get in where you fit in. Mm-hmm. And same thing with bicyclists, like, in the city. There are bike lanes on almost every major road in the city and even through residential neighborhoods at this point. Like, this city has made it a point to be more of a bike-friendly city and aggressively done so so that it can be that way. And I don't, I don't think that's a problem. It's just we're all vying for the same amount of real estate. And I think that people on bikes, not so much pedestrians, but people on bikes do tend to take full advantage. You know, you take an inch, you give an inch, take a mile. I think there's a lot of that because of the certain smugness that comes along with being a bicyclist who is, you know, it it tends to be people who are probably more likely to feel smug in many aspects of life. Well, and you you mentioned that outside of the transportation-related rants. You also mentioned a couple of other smug people, including one I really, really agree with, people who eat at chain restaurants. Look, look my, my mother-in-law, she will wait in line to eat at Olive Garden, and even worse, Red Lobster. Yep, she waits at Red Lobster. I mean, those Cheddar Bay biscuits are a thing, man. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, sure, they're okay. The you just, <laughs> just got to get on board there. <laughs> but is it worth waiting in line for? I mean, people love what they love, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's I live in, D.C. is a foodie city, so you don't get as much of that type of stuff. But um, in some places where they're not food cities, I guess. Listen, I've seen people wait, you know, like Shoney's and Old Country Buffet. Like, folks love what they love, but it's, it's an interesting life. I... My, I, I grew up in a Shoney's household. We went to every Shoney's in the Southeast. <laughs> when I was in Statesboro, I worked at a Shoney's for about a week. Statesboro, Georgia? Yeah, that's right. I went to school at Georgia like Southern. Georgia Southern? Yep. Georgia, my, my oldest sister went to Georgia Southern. Oh, yeah, great. So, We're yeah, both Eagles. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Well, thanks again, Panama Jackson. Thanks for joining us uh, here on the show. Uh, it's uh, We really appreciate your time. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. He does use some curse language uh, in the blog, so if you do have sensitive eyes, uh, then you have to, you've been warned. But I think he does make some good points. Oh, absolutely, one hundred. And and what it all comes back to is that unifying message, right? Share the road. Yeah, but it, it was it was good comment uh, when he said we're all fighting for the same real estate, and really that's exactly what we are. Now pedestrians less than the cars and the bikes. But we are all fighting for the same real estate. Well, it's the same thing as anything else. We need to be fighting for the bigger pipeline, right? And more real estate to bike or drive or walk or however you get around. Because we, especially here in Colorado, we know we need more of that. I do think we should hook him up with uh, David uh, Sachs over there at Streets Blogs. And see. Just let them have a conversation over some Cheddar Bay biscuits. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
Coming up, Joseph, the airport lounges are a wonderful perk, but if um, if you're flying, you're only supposed to use these lounges when you're flying. The story of the guy who got kicked out of the lounges for life as that Driving You Crazy podcast continues. Everybody, it's Eric Lufer with Denver 7, the morning show. Hey, watch us every morning, Monday through Friday, because, you know, I'm on it. Now, if I wasn't on the team, I would watch Denver 7 for the Jason-Lisa bickering that they do every, every morning. They're like brother-sister. I love it. It, may, it adds to the dynamic. We're just a great team, and it's people need to watch. Eric Lufer, only on Denver 7. Who's your favorite person on the show to work with? Oh, it's myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Well, one of the advantages is I think we all get along on the show. Um, I mean, I don't really care for the other people on the program. I think they're all kind of... Uh... Mitch Jelnicker, only on Denver 7. back to the world famous driving you crazy podcast the one and only podcast that emanates from this building right here in this location in downtown denver for a year and a half the only the only podcast in rotation here at the old denver Seven. it is it we've encouraged others to do it um people have well, talked to me about doing it i think we have to count our friend troy rank and his podcast as well yeah so one of one and a half. But does he do it from this building? That's correct. He does it from his home, where he probably has a slightly nicer setup than the old <laughs> shoebox yeah, studio. Maybe so. I'm sure you've seen people doing that vaping deal, right? Is I saw pseudos? somebody doing it in the car in front of us yesterday. He blew two se- large clouds of smoke, vape, whatever you want to call it, out of his window, I, and my wife and I got a kick out of it. Well, yeah, because they they when they exhale, there's that huge vapor cloud. Yes. Um, and it looks it looks like a smoke screen, really. It's very fulfilling if you've never vaped before to exhale that cloud for really? the first time. Have you done that? Yeah, I've never done it. It's it's. I mean, I mean maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know, but it, I feel like a lot of people have at least experimented with it. And is it is is the point of getting the the cloud? Do you try to get the largest cloud you can? Is that is that part of the deal? I mean, in my experience, well, yes. That's that's the, part of the uh, correct. I, I think it. that is part of the fun of it. Well, now in the UK, if you wanted to vape, Joseph, you're not going to be allowed to while you're driving, because drivers could be prosecuted and even lose their license if you're caught doing it, because they say the cl- the thick cloud of vapor can obscure your vision to the point that it's a visual hazard and you might wreck or hit somebody that's on the uh, sidewalk or crossing the street. Did they ban cigarettes for the same reason? No, because I don't think they have the same cloud effect as the vaping people. I mean, I think that's debate. Well, 
I, I would say no that's at least a little debatable. No way you get as much smoke from the smoker, regular cigarette, that you do from the vape. Right, but the smoke's more harmful to your eyes. If you so get what? vape liquid in your, if you get a vape cloud in your eyes, it's just water. But if you get a smoke cloud in your eyes, it's going to sting, and there's going to be that natural blinking reaction. Well, sure, but the cloud of vape is so thick you can't see anything. Well, I mean, if you don't open a damn window, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> Spicoli rolling out of the van. Uh, who is Spicoli? You just. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Cheech and Chong. You could have gone with Cheech and I Chong. I could have gone with, I didn't realize that you actually knew Cheech and Chong. That is a reference that I think everybody Fast aware Times of. at Ridgemont High. I know it Jeff existed. Jeff Spicoli, Sean Penn, nothing, crickets. Should watch the movie. The assistant to the assistant general manager. Uh, <laughs> anyway, a few episodes back, we talked about the decision by Ford. Uh, that it's going to stop producing cars except for the Mustang and only make SUVs, trucks, and other large vehicles for the U.S. market. It wasn't a big surprise, and if anything, it was expected since SUV and truck sales are now growing while car sales are falling faster than Ma- Matt Lauer's career. Uh, there's another Why big... did you have to bury Matt Lauer like that? <laughs> uh, it's falling faster than Charlie Rose's career. Oh, boy. Um, then <laughs> in- insert uh, Me Too person here. How about that? Okay. But there's another big change. <laughs> Kevin Spacey's career. Uh, there's another big change going on at Ford. Uh, the move to electrification. Moving away from cars and simultaneously going electric may seem counterintuitive since it takes more energy to move all that extra weight. But SUVs and trucks apparently offer more battery space and consumers have voted with their pocketbooks as they want the room these bigger vehicles provide. Even though these bigger vehicles, as we just talked about last week, are more dangerous and a lot of people who are accustomed to driving a sedan can't really wrap their heads around that tra- transition to driving a bigger vehicle. I see it in my parking garage all the time. These people in SUVs take corners too wide on a regular basis. They get in parking spots and then they have to back up and repark and repark and repark because they're just not used to or can never get accustomed to being behind the wheel of such a monster vehicle. Speaking of that, I, there's, I saw this story, um, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, about how parking spaces are not keeping up, the size of parking spaces are not keeping up with these trucks and SUVs. I'm trying to get the uh, the author of that story for next week's podcast because um, it's fascinating because you're right, it isn't. The, the, the vehicles are getting bigger, spaces are getting smaller, some roads are getting narrower. Um, so the infrastructure is not following along with what the manufacturers are doing well and there's no special training for an suv or, or even something bigger than an suv like think about the size of a range rover these days or like even a, something as simple as a chrysler pacifica where it feels like you're in a boat on wheels you know i mean none of these cars are particularly easy to get around especially compared to a little gumball like a mazda 3 now according to ford the move to electrification is also driven by consumers thanks to advancements in electric vehicle technology. Now, Ford says they no longer think that an electric car has to be boring like the old Ford Focus that's uh, their uh, electric car. They say a battery and adding one to a car should make it better for drivers. Ford is no longer seeing high miles per gallon and battery-powered cars as government-mandated necessities. Instead, uh, electric and hybrids have become an opportunity to appease the market hungry for technology and a greener lifestyle. Well. Let's not get too political, but part of that is because our current administration has not made it a priority to increase miles per gallon, at least compared to the prior administration. That is true. So it would make sense that Ford would not think that miles per gallon is something worth pursuing because that is not a priority of anybody in power. Well, their new Mustang is supposed to get 300 miles on a charge. 
Um, they have it, it's it's named um, Mach One, I guess, and it's coming to a dealership near you mm-hmm. in 2020. After that, the company is going to introduce 40 electrified vehicles worldwide by 2022. Now, now this new direction for Ford, it, it's it's really interesting because the former CEO didn't believe in going electric. But there's a new CEO at Ford, and this is what he says is going to be the future for the company, and Ford is, is all in on it. Um, they think that the internal combustion engine is really out the door because we're not going to need them anymore, mm-hmm. and that it's the old technology, and that all electric are, is, is the new technology. I mean, the mayor of this city said yesterday that he's planning to have all electric on the roads, at least in taxi cabs and rideshare fleets, within 30 years. Now, Tesla, you know, we, they've been building, they have all their new Tesla Model 3s out. Well, is Tesla still relevant with our boy Elon Musk causing problems for himself all week long? <laughs> he does. Did he ever get his uh, submarine thing back that he was helping the no, uh, rescue he, the boys? No, he, he left it because he wanted them to have it just in case they ever needed it for anything. And then he proceeded to call a member of the rescue team a very bad word that nobody should be calling anybody in this, gener- in this day and age. And now he's going to get sued for libel and probably lose all of his money. Well... You know? We can only hope, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you are not the biggest uh, Elon fan in the world. Not a muskrat. Now, the interesting part for me of this move is that since they're all in, if Ford fails at this, could it be the end of Ford? Yeah. Nothing I mean, this, is, there is it, no it sacred be. cow in the auto industry. I, it, it, you look at how many electric cars are being sold right now. Obviously, the Tesla is selling, but not as robustly as they can. The When I was buying my Volt... They couldn't barely give them away, and that's one of the reasons I had a great incentive to buy the thing. Um, and then it was the other government incentive for the tax credit, federal and state, and it was tax. It, it wasn't like a deduction; it was a full on. Here's seventy five hundred bucks from the feds, and here's four thousand dollars from the state of Colorado for you to drive r- drive this electric car. Well, and now I mean, the, the, you you don't have those things artificially propping up the market. So the question is, who's going to buy the electric vehicle, and is the electric vehicle accessible to the average consumer? I mean, I think Ford is pursuing this with the Mustang brand, and that's not an accident. Mustang speaks to a higher end crowd. Electric speaks to a higher end crowd. But all the trucks and SUVs are going to go this way. Right. Well, again, a higher end. So, crowd. do you want? Well, do you want? Uh, let's say I'm, I'm working at a job site, and and I usually I'm going to buy my Ford F one fifty. Ford F one fifties are still the number one selling truck. Mm-hmm. But now, am I going to go for the GMC? Am I going to go for a Silverado uh, now and not buy the Ford because the Ford is electric, and I still want what I think is the power and the uh, uh, and the lifestyle of a you know, diesel, uh, diesel pickup. You know, there's some people who won't make the move just on principle and that's fine to be obstinate. But if the F-150 is still the F-150, it doesn't matter if you put gas in the tank or if you plug it into the wall. I wouldn't be surprised if there are going to be fewer truck sales, especially in the South when they are all electric compared to the gasoline or the diesel ones. I'm, it, look, it's the same stupid people who kept buying the old light bulbs when we switched to the new ones because they felt like those old light bulbs lit up a room a certain way. I like those old light bulbs. And that gasoline really gets your truck going in a certain way, too. <laughs> I mean, get out of here. Like, if the truck's the truck, whatever. I did have a great idea to open up a incandescent light bulb store um, on the... Black market? Yeah, well, the no, dark web? no, just on the uh, uh, the red light district on the Canadian side of uh, of, um, of Washington State. Oh. Um, that way, if you needed light bulbs, 
Well, you'd have to go the other direction, right? Canada is more environmentally friendly than we are. Did they get rid of the incandescents too? Oh, I'm sure you need to go to like uh, Russia, to which you can see from Sarah Palin's house, if you really <laughs> want to set up shop somewhere that's accessible to America. Gotcha. Uh, but I, you know what? We've lost some uh, iconic stores recently. Uh, Toys R Us is one of them. Yep. They're all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this funny meme where this uh, <laughs> this mom says, if you're really good, I'll, I'll take you to Toys R Us. And then you see a picture of the kids at the Toys R Us that's all closed down. It's pretty funny. But if, if honestly, if we lost Ford because the electric deal doesn't work, that is that could be monstrous. Disastrous. A Ford is, well, I, I couldn't imagine you don't have Ford. Well, I, that's just it, though. I mean, at what point does the truck business take take a hit? I just can't see it. They're the market leader. It's so important to be the market leader. They have such a huge head start on other brands in that space that it's hard to imagine them falling too far out of favor, whether this experiment works or not. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Ford goes away. What happens to the rest of the automakers? I love that this turned into Ford's done. There are plenty of other American automakers that are in more trouble in the immediate future than Ford is. Have you ever uh, been or are you a frequent guest inside those airport lounges? No, I've never been. Never? Take me inside, Jason. I will. I can. With my, uh, with my car- credit card, I can. I can take you in there. Um, I like the lounges. They're great. Are there finger sandwiches? Um, it depends on the lounge. Some have good sandwiches. Some have nice uh, actual like cooked meals from a little okay. buffet-style thing. Free booze? Some have, uh, oh yeah, free booze. Okay. Of course, they have Done. the free drinks. And away we go. Uh, snacks, they have lots of snacks. I could spend a week there. Some actually have showers um, where you can go and freshen up if you like. Um, but there like, was this one in Miami. The uh, Centurion Lounge in Miami was really nice where they had a whole deal where it was all set up for the food and it was lovely. It's a nice way because we had, I don't know, four hours or something to wait between flights. Mm-hmm. And so it's a nice place to stay and hang out. And it was just to get to that one in Miami was forever walking through that damn terminal. Uh, but, they, they, I mean, they're handy when you need them, right? Yes. Some are open 24 hours. Some are open just other, other times. Anyway, the way you get in there is if, you, like if you're a card holder like me um, with certain credit cards, uh, some you have these uh, priority pass memberships where you can use those um you can have other ones if you're a frequent flyer on certain airlines if you have enough miles then you get in and you're a certain elite status um american express has their own uh ones they're building one the centurion lounge in denver now beautiful should be open in another year it'll be pretty nice now i mentioned all the the we were talking about the free food and the free drinks and all that stuff there was a story from 2014 that went viral about a man who ate free for an entire year at one of these lounges. An entire year. An entire year. Because he, what he would do is buy a refundable airline ticket so he could get into the China Eastern Lounge. He would go in, eat, drink, whatever he wanted, and then he would leave and get a refund for his ticket since it was a refundable ticket. He did this every single day. Now that same year, Lufthansa... They sued a passenger and won 200 euros after a man booked and canceled 36 tickets in a year for the purpose of obtaining what they say business class lounge access fraudulently. You've never done this before, Jason? No, I haven't bought a refundable ticket just to go to the lounge. I do this in every city I visit. I go, I stay in a hotel that's near several other hotels, and I go to each of their continental breakfasts one time during my stay. <laughs> it's a great way to experience several different cuisines in one trip. That is a 
brilliant idea. Thanks, buddy. Brilliant. Well, two years ago, a man was arrested after living in nine different Priority Pass lounges at the Singapore airport over the course of three weeks. Living. 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 Pretty much living. Mm. Well, now there's this story of a man who had his airline status revoked for refunding tickets over and over again after using these airport lounges. Now he's suing the airline. An Air Canada super elite passenger, his name is Eric Wong, he says he takes over 150 flights a year and that his business travels and his plans change all the time, and that's why he has to cancel his tickets. Right. Air Canada says he books these refundable tickets on purpose, uses their lounges, and then cancels the ticket on the day he never intended to fly at all. Shaster. Can Air Canada prove this? Air Canada doesn't know this guy's business. No, they don't, but that's what they're alleging. Well. So airlines say you're not supposed to do this, obviously. You're not supposed to buy the ticket, go to the lounge, and then and then get your ticket refunded with never having an intention to, of using that ticket. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was back in January of 2016, Eric Wong, he was inside Air Canada's Maple Leaf Lounge in Vancouver. Sounds lovely. He decided to cancel his trip. That's when he ran into problems. He asked for an escort to arrivals. Since he was in the international departures area of the airport, the Maple Leaf Lounge agent said he needed to wait until they were done finishing to investigate his abuse. Eventually, he was permitted to leave, but about 10 days later, he was informed that his top-tier elite status was suspended pending an investigation. The airline claimed he cleared security and accessed the international or transborder sterile area of the airport, possibly without the purpose of traveling at all on that day. I would never be called transborder sterile. Would you? Would you like to be called transborder sterile? Is that odd to be called transborder sterile? That is odd. Don't you think? Yeah. Yep. Air Canada wanted Mr. Wong to explain his reasons for canceling his tickets. He refused, citing the airline tariff, which allows cancellation of refundable tickets, and that they advertise such fares. Entail full refunds, no questions asked. So there you Mr. go. Wong, Mr. Wong Stop said... Stop asking questions. Stop asking your questions. <laughs> it says in your policy, I can buy the ticket, get a refund. Shh. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Get out of here, Eric. Get out of my best, yeah. What are you doing? Take oh that out of your God. policy. That's what he's saying. What? Well, Air Canada did provide the promised refunds. Uh, no questions asked, right. Uh, they did, though, ask the question with respect to his continued membership in their elite program. He says he is seeking damages because his miles are not worth as much now because he lacks that elite status, and he has to spend more on tickets to obtain that flexibility afforded to him by his previously elite status. So, Judge Joseph here, uh, Air Canada needs to shut up and give the man his money, or his miles, or whatever. Uh, They also deserve to have the right to kick him off their airline permanently, never let him buy another ticket. See you later. Nice knowing you. You found the loophole. Congratulations. Never again. And you're done. Yep. Part ways. Go scam United. That's <laughs> well, you know, he, he, he says that, you know, he's a little upset and he's going to sue. Um, in the U.S., this suit would probably go nowhere. Are we sure about that? Well, there was a Supreme Court ruling in the case Northwest versus Ginsburg. <laughs> And it was basically about a traveler with a premium elite status whose account was terminated for abusing the airline's compensation system. They say 
He complained too frequently and got compensation for each instance, and the airline basically finally fired him as a customer. So doing what Judge Joseph said to do, separate yourself from that customer and don't let them buy tickets on your airline ever again. Because the court ruled that frequent flyer programs are rebates on the price of air travel. And many believe that Air Canada is within its rights to suspend the elite benefits from Mr. Wong for the tickets they believe were booked for the purpose of attaining the lounge access or going inside the airport without any intention to fly. So you might be onto something there. Good. Beat it, Wong. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's how we end the program with a beat it, Wong. Okay. Reminds me of that Saturday Night Live commercial from forever ago. It was Phil Hartman, I think it was. He sits down at his computer after a long day. I like to relax, get a drink, and play with my Wong. Well, there you go. Wong computer. There you have it, folks. Rimshot. Thank you. Bop, Thank you again for listening here to the old podcast. We appreciate you. And if you want to get a hold of us at Denver 7, at Denver 7 Traffic is my handle. I am at Joseph Denver 7. And you can always leave the comment or or, uh, or deal or, or, or whatever on the iTunes or the Podbean or the whatever, however you listen to the podcast. Uh, you can also send us a, an email uh, at uh, drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. There you have it. So until next time, I'm Jason Lip with the Traffic Guy. I am Supreme Court enthusiast Joseph Peters. <laughs> Be safe and as always, happy motoring.